Good morning. If you would take a Bible and be turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We are grateful that you are here. It's wonderful to be together, certainly that time of year in our part of the world where we're looking forward to some great days of good weather, cooler weather. But it's a wonderful chance to be together today. And we're grateful to see you if you're one of our members or certainly if you are a visitor. Grateful to those who have taken part so far for Don and the leading of our singing, the songs that he's selected for Travis and his words and our prayer. And uh, I usually feel like after Robert leads us in the Lord's Supper that I don't need to get up and speak once Robert's done all the speaking. Uh, most of you are very complimentary as we try to be of Robert and many of our men who do a great job of, of putting together thoughts, uh, thinking about that and thinking about the Lord's Supper. We've emphasized before that often our... Uh, our time together is, is centered around the preaching. That's kind of an Americanized thing, or probably even, you know, even before the United States kind of became the thing, uh, the way that, that churches operated, congregations operated. Uh, but when we read in the pages of the New Testament, the New Testament church, the early church was coming together to break bread, to partake of the Lord's Supper, and it's an important part. And we appreciate not only Robert, but all of our men who, who do a good job in leading us in, in those thoughts. Beginning in Ecclesiastes, I ask you to turn to chapter 12, but let's back up to chapter 11, beginning in verse number 9. The wise man says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. If you have an outline in front of you or a bulletin, you see that the title for the lesson this morning deals with challenges that young Christians face, but also that caveat there in each generation. The lesson this morning is going to focus a little bit on some of the things that our young people face and will face, but we can certainly look back and think about some things that we have faced, and some of these are not just challenges only for those in, say, the, the 10 to 18 demographic or, or 13 to 25 or something like that. It's things and challenges that we all face. Not only that, but let me ask you, as I often try to do, to be back with us again at our afternoon service at 1.30. If you have an outline or a bulletin and you see the title, I, I was not sure how to word that, and I went with the phrase adults, asking, speaking to you, most of you, as adults. You see, as we're going to talk about our young people, we could focus this afternoon on our parents, but not everybody's a parent. Some of you are a parent, but maybe your kids are long gone, and maybe you've got grandkids or, or children that are out of the home, but some of you are grandparents. And you're dealing with grandchildren. Or maybe you only get to see them so often, but, but you're, you don't, you know, you're, they're not in your home all the time. And yet at the same time, some of you say, I don't see my children or my grandchildren hardly at all. But you have an influence because at least a few times a week, you're around these young people sitting up here. So it could be, hey, parents, we need to do a better job. It could be grandparents, sometimes as you have to step in, you need to know what's going on. But maybe as we continue to work as a congregation, it would encourage us to think about how as adults we can all work together. What are we going to do, not only about the things that we're about to talk about, but as we think about being good examples for the young people of today, 
the young people that we come in contact with, adults, what is it that we can do? And we would love for you to be back with us this afternoon as we consider that. The outline this morning is one that was given to me by my father-in-law. He preached it not too long ago, and he handed it to me and said, here, you might get use of that sometime. And, and I had been looking through it. But he begins as thinking about youth by saying that a half century ago, he was a young Christian. You know, being in his 60s, he said a half century ago, he was a young man facing some of these challenges. But, you know, I had to think that in just a few days, the, the number at the front of my age is going to flip over to four instead of three. And so it's been at least a quarter century for me that I was a young Christian. So whether it's a half century ago or a quarter century ago, we can remember what it was like, the challenges that we might have faced as a young person. And here's the thing. Even if maybe your memory is going just a little bit and it's kind of hard to remember, we still have eyes, right? We still have ears. Most of us still have a device of some sort, a cell phone or, or a device of some sort in which we are still connected with the world. So we are able with our eyes and ears to understand some of the challenges that young people face today. And there's another thing. We all still have a Bible that tells us what the divine has to say about these particular matters that both young and old face alike. In every generation all over the world, Christians, young Christians, face challenges. In fact, again from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 9, we know the phrase, there is nothing new under the sun. So in many aspects of life, it doesn't matter if you live in England or the United States or somewhere else around the world. It doesn't matter if you're 13 or 18 or if you're 65. There are challenges that we face because there is nothing new under the sun. Now, there may be some new twists involved. In fact, we had this discussion in our house just over the last couple of days. You know, mom and dad, things aren't like they were when you were a teenager. And that's true to some extent. Just like they're not the same when we were a teenager as when some of you were teenagers. There's a little bit of a twist that sometimes get involved, but in principle, the challenges are the same for each generation. Do you remember how John said it? First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. John would say that it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Boy, we complicate it sometimes, and we talk about movies, and we talk about music, and we talk about cell phones, and all of these things. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John says, in principle, the challenges are the same for each generation. Now, we need, as older people, to try and grasp these real-life challenges that our young people face. And so this morning, let's consider a few of them. There's actually going to be eight, but I think we can move through them quickly and not take too long here. But eight things that we might consider worthy of our consideration as we think about our young people and the challenges that they face. Number one. Number one, we need to or they have a challenge of developing and maintaining their own personal faith. Developing and maintaining their own personal faith. Maybe we could sum it up by saying commitment. Each generation, including our young people right now, face the challenge of a commitment, making a commitment to God, developing and maintaining your own personal faith. You know, nothing is more important than this. Right? We say that quite often because no one will stand for you but you before, the day, before God on the day of judgment. 
when people at any age leave the Lord, there may be a number of factors that lead to that choice. But the bottom line is this. When a person leaves or departs from God, it is a faith issue. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12, the Hebrew writer would say, Beware, beware brethren, those who are brethren but might have had this opportunity, beware brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He goes on to say, of course, but exhort one another daily. You see, there's this warning of this, this evil heart of unbelief. It's a possibility. It's a leaving of the faith. But encourage one another, exhort one another daily so that you will not succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. Young people must not rely on their parents' faith but develop their own trust in the Lord. That's based on the evidence that is given in the Bible. We often say it, our men sometimes pray it, but there's nothing greater than seeing these first few rows filled with young people and we're thankful that parents bring them. But if we could do one of those things that they do in movies sometimes, you know, when they make things go really fast, how sad would it be if we saw about those pews full and then it went through every Sunday, maybe in a millisecond, and before you know it, one's gone, three's gone, and then those pews are empty again. Maybe because while we're thankful that parents and grandparents bring them now, that's not all that it takes. We know that Paul would say it to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, you... You present yourself approved to God. Paul would say it Romans 12, 1 and 2. You present your body as a living sacrifice. It's a personal thing. Don't bring your parents to me and line up and say, well, these are my kids and, and look what I've done for them. Or look what I've done. Can that go for them? You have to do it. Each one of us have to do it on our own. Being 100% committed to Jesus does not take away the challenges that we face, but it puts us in a position that we are better able to deal with those challenges when we have our own personal faith. You know, we sometimes point at college and university, and we, we point at them and say, those things and those people will ruin our children, and they'll mess with their mind, and they'll lead them astray. But unfortunately, sometimes they're very easily led astray because as they get there, they've got no roots, right? That seed didn't take hold. And as those thorns come and choke them out, they leave. Yes, maybe because of some words that are whispered in their ear by a teacher or, or friends at college or university. But often it's because as they hear those things, they don't reach down and grab hold of those roots and say, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true. Let me consult my Bible. They're weak. They're shallow. And then they're torn away. And they go along with those things because they've all only been able to regurgitate a little bit of what the preacher has said as opposed to developing and maintaining their own personal faith. Number two, peer pressure. Peer pressure. This, of course, is an attempt to persuade someone to conform to someone else's desires. Now, here's the thing. I, I hear the word peer pressure, and maybe you're the same way, and I automatically think of teenagers, right? We automatically think of, of 13 to 18, or we think of high school when we hear peer pressure. But, of course, we know that peer pressure happens among all ages. Even as adults, we are pressured by our peers to go along with whatever it is they're saying or doing or thinking. For young folks, there can be a pressure to maybe lie to protect a friend. 
to dress immodestly, to engage in premarital sex or to defy their parents' instructions or to go and do something at the same time when Christians are to be together assembling with the saints at, at services. That's just a small list. But there are all kinds of things in which young people are faced with when it comes to peer pressure. We know, right? All you have to do is turn on your TV. Why do we have to watch the same commercial over and over and over again, whether it's the football game or, or whatever it might be? Because there's strength in numbers. There's strength in pressuring someone by saying something over and over again or realizing that, hey, you know what? Everybody has one of those. Everybody wears that brand. Everybody, whatever it might be. And it's easy for us to succumb to peer pressure. God's children whether they be young or old, must avoid the temptation to conform to this world. We already mentioned Romans 12, 1 and 2. <coughs> Excuse me, Romans 12, 1 and 2. But Paul talks about the idea of conforming. Go back to our children again, even the younger ones. They know what Plato is. They understand, we all understand this idea of conforming or being molded to something. And yet that's what we allow ourselves to do. We become conformed to this world as opposed to conformed to the image of God's Son. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. See, Paul says, be conformed to the image of His Son. We might say that would look as different as a square peg trying to go into a round hole. The mold's completely different. We should be able to see that. And yet we allow our children to slowly be poured sometimes into that mold of the world. Instead of allowing ourselves to be poured into the mold of the world, we should seek to please the Lord in all things. In John chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus would say something along those lines that it was, he said, I always do those things which please him. Is that what we can say when we pillow our head at night or when we wake up in the morning? I will always do the things that please him. Or are we being conformed to this world by the peer pressure that weighs us down? Look, it's there. Uh, we're lying if we say it's not there, and we're lying if we say it really is only our young people, because we know that's not true. But challenges that young Christians face in each generation, peer pressure is certainly one of those. Number three, youthful lust. Number three, youthful lust. Paul says it very plainly, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee youthful lust. Pretty simple, right? Pretty direct. Not really any kind of way to figure out maybe a way around that, or maybe, that, maybe that's not what he meant. Flee. Run away from youthful lust. Now, here's the thing. That's easier said than done, right? Right? Sometimes it's easier said than done. For our young people, they struggle sometimes with the experimenting with the unknown. Maybe it's the pull of pornography that is so strong in our world today. Maybe it's the pull of alcohol or drugs of some sort. What about addiction to things that are online? Even things like, like games or, or gaming or, or social media. What about the idea of thinking about constantly about the idea that I would rather be going and do what, doing what I want to do rather than working or accomplishing the tasks that need to be done. I'd rather just have fun rather than have to study some more. Uh, going off and thinking about all these things you know, when we think about the word lust, we usually think about it in a sexual way, and that's certainly true, I guess, in a sense. But what is it that is enticing us? What is it that we long after? 
Maybe it is that, that connection through, through social media or that addiction to, again, the online things or the gaming kind of things that seem to consume our minds so much. Things like pornography now involved with that or the addiction to the other things like the, the alcohol or the, the drugs or things like that. We are to flee youthful lusts, desires, things that entice us. We need to remember to whom we belong. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, ask some of those questions as Paul sometimes does or would be known to do. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know, right? Kind of rhetorical. Not necessarily smart out, but kind of rhetorical like you should, not, you should know these things. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were bought at a price to live for his glory. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing, young people? Or are we going towards those youthful lusts? Number four, we need to... We are challenged sometimes with balancing a desire to be independent with the need to be submissive. Sometimes the challenge that young people face is a balancing a desire to be independent with a need to be submissive, and in particular, to those in authority. You know, when we reach a certain age, we get that idea of, I want to make my own choices, right? I know what's best for me, and I want to do what I think is best for me, and I want to do what I want to do. Guess what? It's a natural desire, somewhat. We get a little independence, we get a little responsibility, and we say, I, I think I know what's right. I think I know what's best. But of course, that idea, that longing, that idea that it's natural to have those feelings, it must be harmonized with a Christian's duty to, first of all, obey their parents, right? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1, children, obey your parents, we, we get that. It's actually a good thing, right? It would be a bad thing if a person said, well, I always want to just stay with my mom only, right? I just want to stay with my mom and I always want to be by her side and I never want to go out and do some things on my own. As they get older, that's, that's a problem. You've, you've got to kind of set out on your own. But when we think about that natural desire, we've got to harmonize it with, first of all, as a young person, you're to obey your parents. Also, we know from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, we're to obey the shepherds of God's flock. We're to obey our elders, obey those, the Hebrew writer says, who have rule over you. So yes, it's great to be a person who thinks on their own, but you've got to remember to obey your parents. You've got to remember to obey your elders. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, we've got to remember to obey civil authorities. 1 Peter 2.13, Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. It's it tough sometimes to remember that. There are lots of things that are going on in our country. There are sometimes leaders that we may not agree with. But of course, all of these passages, obeying parents and elders and civil authorities, remind us that while, yes, we want to be independent and we should be, we have to be submissive to those in authority. You know, Paul would write in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1 that Christians are free because of Christ. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom, by which Christ has made us 
free. So Christians are free via Christ and his sacrifice, but we are not free to rebel against or to be disrespectful to those in authority. Now, I'll just make note here as well. Many of you are aware, I've been watching on the news of an incident even here in one of the local high schools over the last couple of weeks. The question has become about someone who is in authority, and I'm not here to talk about all that or pass judgment about the entire situation, but it had to do, of course, with a young person and authority. And whether you fall on one side or the other, or some of you probably aren't even aware of what's going on because maybe you don't follow the news exactly, we know that it's always been a challenge with young people wanting to do what they want to do with the idea that the Bible says we are to submit to civil authorities, to elders, and yes, to our parents. That's a challenge that we face sometimes in our life. Number five, number five, social interaction, social interaction with those of the opposite gender. Now, this is where things can be a little delicate sometimes, but still true, that we need to be concerned with, and our young people are often faced with a challenge of social interactions of those of the opposite gender. You know, at some point, as boys and girls in kindergarten, when we thought everybody had cooties or we didn't want to touch but just always fought with each other, right? At some point, those feelings kind of change, and we begin to say, well, maybe she's pretty maybe she's very pretty maybe he's kind of cute and maybe I'm kind of interested in more than just that idea and we began to look at each other and it can be confusing or awkward or frustrating and here's the thing it can dominate a person's thoughts right about a person of the opposite gender but real quick before we move on three three things that we need to keep in mind three quick reminders about this number one we should show purity and how we deal with every person in the opposite gender just like you would want others to interact with your own brother or sister in the flesh right you would want someone to treat again this idea of dating relationship or something like that you would want them to treat or you and you should treat others as you would want someone to treat your brother or sister in real life your own fleshly brother or sister first timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. We need to be pure in how we deal with every person of the opposite gender. Number two, God reserves the right for sexual relations only for those who are married with one another. I said it's delicate matters, but it's still absolutely true. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable. Part of the problem in our world, in our country and in our world, is that marriage is no longer honorable. People do not hold it in the same esteem as it is the institution created by God in marriage and family and the home. But we need to remember when it comes to our social interaction that God reserves certain things for certain relationships. Number three, wise-thinking saints, wise-thinking saints follow Peter's guide to marry someone who is in God's family. 
wise-thinking saints follow Peter's advice to marry someone who is in God's family. That's not every situation. Sometimes somebody says, well, that's really tough, and I understand. But actually, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5, have we not power, notice here, 1 Corinthians 9, 5, have we not power to lead about a sister, and then he says a wife. I, that's the King James. I believe the New King James says a believing wife. So a sister in the faith, a believing wife, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord. And here's the mention, Paul says, of Cephas. I know that it's not always the easiest thing. I know lots of people who spend many, many years single waiting for that opportunity to marry someone who is a Christian. But you can speak to lots of folks who struggle in that kind of relationship. The Bible speaks about it. We won't take the time and what we have left to go over that in great detail. But it is encouraging when we think about the opportunity to marry someone who's a faithful Christian. And we should be striving for that and encouraging our young people to find that. All right, number six. <clears throat> number six. Being patient with older people. This is a challenge that young people sometimes face, being patient with older people. It is not uncommon for young folks to think that their parents and other so-called older people are extremely ignorant, right? You ever been told that before? You don't have to show your hands. Don't have to show your hands. Ever been told that before? All the young people can't see all the hands that shot up behind them, right, back here. No, We kind of joke about it and laugh about it, but it's true. People say things like, you just don't understand. You just don't get it. And again, when I think about the idea of something like a cell phone, no, the world has absolutely, without a doubt, changed. It's very, very different. But if there's nothing new under the sun, we do get it and understand. Sometimes the young among us, they miss this truth. By your longevity on earth, you older folks, you gain experience which enable you to gain wisdom and to make better decisions. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we won't take the time to read all of it, but Titus 2, 1 through 10, Paul reminds Titus, my Bible says non-inspired headings, right? A non-inspired heading here says qualities of a sound church. I think it's true. Do you know what Paul says the qualities of a sound church are? It's old people and young people and everybody in between working together. It's respect, it's reverence, it's honor, it's listening, it's paying attention. That's the qualities of a sound church. Sometimes young people miss this. They realize they think they've got it all figured out. They don't realize that we gain experience in life. Our Lord has always wanted his people to honor the presence of an old man or an older person. Even going back to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32, <coughs> pardon me, we see it in the Old Testament how many times God says to honor and reverence your parents to realize that they know what they're talking about. Young people like to have their voices heard, and rightfully so in a way, but in the process of new ideas, expressing new ideas, we would plead with, with our younger people to be respectful to those who are comfortable doing matters differently, sometimes heading in the old way, the old paths. It's a balance. Sometimes new is an improvement and better, right? I think we think about our medical field. Maybe it's not perfect, but some of the things that we can do now are, are better. 
are improving. We mentioned to you just a, a few weeks ago our prayers for our sister Tish Clark from out in Memphis. That the diagnosis she got recently with, with her cancer was that if I had seen you 10 years ago, I would tell you there's no hope. 10 years later, with improvements, new things in the medical field, I can tell you there's some hope, the doctor says. But yes, at the same time, listening to the old past, listening to the experience that our older people have, a challenge that we face is being patient with that. But may we strive to do that. Number seven, keeping priorities in order. Keeping priorities in order. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, Jesus himself says that getting away for rest and relaxation is okay. Matthew, excuse me, Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says, come apart into a desert place and rest a while to those who are following him. There were many people who were coming and going and didn't even have enough time to eat. But you see, traveling all the time to see the world is not a Christian's reason for living. I mean, there's nothing wrong with vacation. There's nothing wrong with traveling around and doing fun things. That's not our purpose for living, though. Fun is fun. That's great. Relaxation is relaxation. But participating in fun activities does not put food on the table or pay the bills. In, a, in connection, there's associations or, or demands associated with our job, with our studies, with our career. But none of those are important as our service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We certainly should remember what Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. He said that the Lord's will is that we set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We've got to keep our priorities in order. Keep the main thing the main thing. And then number 8, one of the challenges that our young people face, and really, again, people of all ages, is maintaining a healthy self-esteem. You may not be the best athlete. You may not get the highest scores on exams. You may not have the most stunning outward appearance or be the most popular. But we all need to remember that we are made in the image of God. God doesn't make things that are considered trash. We are important to the God of heaven. We are made in his image. And with that, we should strive to have a healthy self-esteem. We don't need to bore people with our arrogant boasting, carrying on and on about ourselves, but at the same time, we need to recognize that there is an important place for each one of us in the Lord's body. We oftentimes point out 1 Corinthians 13, but it's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, where Paul emphasizes that each one plays a part. We're not all the hand, we're not all the mouth, the eyes, the ears, the foot. We need everybody we are all part of the body and we love one another dearly some people struggle with this for various reasons we understand that and try to be gracious and patient but we need to remind our young people to maintain a healthy self-esteem because God loves us our brothers and sisters love us and we should strive to serve him with the right attitude with peace and with hope Understanding what our purpose is. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. These are just eight very quick things that young people today face. But as we said in the title, young people in each generation have faced. And as we're going to come back in just a little while and talk about adults, parents, grandparents who interact with their grandchildren and young people. We think about how many grandparents are raising their grandchildren today, are heavily involved in their lives, or even you. I don't care who you are, because 
you have an interaction with my family and my young people. So you, whoever you are, what is it that we can do? How can we help them with these things? How can we ensure that we're all doing our best to face these challenges? We want to come back and talk about that a little bit this afternoon. As we conclude this lesson this morning, we extend heaven's invitation to you. We think about being made in the image of God. We think about our value and worth. We have a purpose here, and that is because when we are in Christ, we have that hope of heaven, and we have a responsibility to take the gospel to all of those in the world who are lost. But maybe you're here this morning, and you've not first obeyed the gospel yourself, putting on Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, allowing his blood to wash away your sins. We'll be singing this song of encouragement to encourage you to become a child of God. Be saved. Have your sins washed away so that the Lord can add you to his church. Maybe you're here this morning and you've struggled. You've wandered away. Maybe, just maybe, it's one of these challenges. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else that is amiss in your life that you'd like to make known before your brothers and sisters. We're thankful for our elders, and one of them will be coming forward in a moment as well to receive you, to pray with you, and for you. We're thankful for this opportunity, and we encourage you, even now as we stand together and as we sing.